little old lady named Dora Siegel would sit in the front and, she, and every time somebody read the steps she'd go this is the most important thing you need to read it slowly you don't go through it and she would comment on people's reading of it I loved her and, and you know when you're 90 like who cares what you say you know nobody cares but that was beautiful thank you thank you my <laughs> I'm going to be oh comment okay, anyways um, here we go okay so um my name is Miriam. I am a compulsive overeater. I belong here. <laughs> Hi. Um, so, where do I start? Share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I am now 46. I came here when I was 18. Uh, but I didn't get abstinent. I didn't get abstinent until uh, November 1st, 1998. So that was six years. I hung out for six years. I did the best I could. I really did the best I could. I was somebody that ate all day long, never ate meals, ate all night long. And um, at age nine, and I won't go on forever about this, but at age nine, I was put on a diet. I was told that I could never eat sugar again because I have a health condition where I was told I could never eat sugar again. You tell a nine-year-old they can't eat sugar again ever. I mean, that's pretty. It's gonna come on, you know. Now, now, and, and you know what? And I just had that like epiphany, right? Twenty, twenty years plus. My November first, nineteen ninety-eight day is my abstinence day. And I'll have. I was telling somebody earlier, telling Don earlier. It's like I will be driving, or I will have these moments of like. Wow, that, and there's no emotion tied to it anymore because I worked the steps around all of it. I really ha- and I continue. I'm never done. Um, but I'll have these moments where, like, that was pretty messed up. No wonder I'm the way I am, you know. And and then I just move forward, you know. And 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 I don't know, you know. All I know for me, and this is where where my program really took off, was um, knowing I'm an addict. I'm an addict. I'm of an addict variety. I'm an alcoholic with food. You know, there are choices, right, as addicts. We'll either go to the alcohol, we'll go to the food, we'll go to the sex, we'll go to the pot, we'll go to all of it. For me, I go to the food. That is my thing. That is my thing. It's always been my thing. I have, you know, and open AA meetings, I I, I connect with every single thing an alcoholic says. When they told me in OA that my problem is not the food, it is a symptom of the, you know, it is a symptom that my problem is me. It's my thinking. And, and you know, we studied the book, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. Just changed the word alcoholic for compulsive overeating. I did that. I wanted to know why I was the way I was. I did all the, di- I mean, I did... I did all the di- thank you. I did all the diets, you know. I, I tried it myself, and it wasn't about intelligence. It, in fact, they say this, and I believe it for myself. And anything I say is my own opinion. You know, education, money, background, you know, prestige. I don't want to know what people do in this program. Like it helps me to not know what you do. <laughs> Just because my ego can get involved with that. And I heard that from an alcoholic, and it made, it made sense to me. Like, all that is a liability. If we have this disease, we've got it. It doesn't matter. And I had some moments of clarity. I remember driving one time, and I saw a fat lady. She was fat. She was fat. And she was heavy. I'm not going to lie. She was heavy. And 
program yet. This was like one of those moments where, and she drove a Range Rover, and at the time that was like, I love Range Rovers, and she drove it. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I could be making, at the time, a lot of money, and I could be driving that car, but if I'm in the disease and I'm fat, none of it matters. I could be flying, I could be living the fancy life, none of it will matter if I'm in this disease. And I knew that that was a moment of like, the answer is here. The answer is in the 12 steps. The answer is in this program. All that other stuff is superficial. All that other stuff doesn't work. If it did, I would be doing that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. So what works for me is this. And, and I'm a product of being taught. Um, I had to get dumb when I got abstinence. I had to get... Um, and the only reason why I did was because my ways weren't working. You know, I tried. I tried. I knew what to write every day. I would. I'd write that. Okay, this is what I'm going to I was educated in what to eat. <laughs> Believe me. And I wrote down, I wrote down what I, what, you know, this is what I'm going to And then by 11 o'clock in the morning, I'd blow it every day for years or I'd be on gen- I, don't, I shouldn't say the diets I would, uh, someone said I shouldn't say the names of the diets because I'm great. I was on so many diets you know driving over here I was telling somebody too you know I live in the valley and driving over here I remember being in my teens and my dad who lived, who, we lived in the valley he worked in Santa Clarita he would be there at 5.30 in the morning at Santa Clarita my dad was a very hard worker and he'd come back after work, pick me up from school at like four, and then drive me over here to Cedar Sinai for some adolescent weight loss program for UCLA. And, and in my heart, I thought, this is it. I'm going to lose the weight. I want to make my dad happy. I want to make everybody happy. I need to lose the weight. I need to lose the weight. And I would go and eat. Makes no sense. What's wrong with me? You know? And I lived with that for years. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And finally, um, my mom said, why don't you go to OA? And, and uh, when she first said that, when I was 17, I was like, no, thank you. That is not a quick weight loss thing. It, you know, I wasn't ready. Um, then she said when I was 18, why don't you go to OA? And she caught me binging. And uh, that was a moment. And if there's anything I could stress, you know, everyone's got their way in this program. For me, I had to share my crazy, I had to share my crying, I had to lay it all out on the line. I had to speak the truth because this is what worked for me. You know, all those medical studies and all these universities, all that never fixed me. What fixed me was when I finally said, I'm dying and I need help. And... uh, this is where I got the help. And people spoke the truth about food. Nobody in my world until I came here talked about, you know, eating out of the trash, saying I'm not going to eat that, and then having to eat it. Have to eat it. Had to eat it. I had to. I couldn't. I had to. You know, and um, when I finally was ready to hear something in here, I heard it the best I could. I hung out for six years. I don't know if it was a maturity thing or, um, or what, but uh, I knew about the steps, but I had to work them, right? But I knew I had a problem with food, but 
but I did the best I could. I really did. And um, I can go on forever about how it was a slow progression to where I stopped gaining weight. I stopped. I was 175. Right now I'm like 135. So about 40 pounds. I fluctuate a couple pounds. I like to be 130, but, you know, I don't exercise as much because I have a family now. Another gift of this program, by the way, that I'm even married, that I have kids. Both are taller than me, teenagers. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. That I make an effort to look attractive, you know, that's important to me because in my disease, it wasn't happening. So um, I work full time. The job I have blows me away. I'm like, you sure about this? Okay. You know, um, all the gifts. And that's just, that's, who knew? You know, I just wanted to be out of the house. So anyways, I got here and um, I got here. I was willing to do what they told me to do. Um, but my path was what it was. And if there's anything I could stress, it's just keep coming back. The one main thing I did right was I never left. Um, it wasn't until my outside world was getting better. I was like maintaining 170 and not on a diet for those first six years. I was just glad to be eating three binges a day, which is what I did, um, and I wasn't gaining weight. I thought, this is great, and I hung out for six years. Um, but then my outside world got good, but I hadn't worked on myself at all. So I felt like a big phony when things were starting to happen on the outside. And uh, that was kind of a moment of like, Miriam, you're still messed up. So when I was, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was 18, I went to this coffee house. It's called Cable's Restaurant. They're no longer there, but it was on Ventura Boulevard, and I would go to that coffee shop. Coffee shop is like a diner coffee shop. And I would study that big book every night, and I would read that big book line for line. I am that, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. For the first time in my life, something made sense. For the first time in my life, I held on to something for dear life because I wanted to understand why I was the way I was. I didn't know. I didn't know I was self-centered. I didn't know I had a problem until I did know I had a problem. I just didn't know there was a solution. It says that in the big book. There is a solution. There's a solution. What is it? You know, and I, and I was like, <laughs> every single night. I, I had no desire to do anything except get better. I just wanted to get better. I just wanted, what's wrong with me? And so um, I would study that book and I would change the word alcoholic for compulsive overeater. And I did the program on my own. You know, I didn't get a sponsor because nobody said to me, well, they did, but I wasn't listening, probably. Um, but I did the best I could. Um, so anyway, six years later, some outside stuff happened. Something happened that devastated me, and uh, I realized that I was still making the choices of my life, that because I hung out in this program, I knew that my thinking was the problem. I knew that I had created the world that I had because of my thinking, and I knew that my thinking was still diseased thinking. I knew that uh, by hanging out, right? So. I knew that um, the people I had in my life, the people I didn't have in my life, what I was attracted to, what I wasn't attracted to, what I couldn't have, all that stuff was a direct result of Miriam's thinking. And Miriam's thinking is the problem. And I learned in this program, the only, and I knew, I knew in my heart, the only way I'm going to change is by working a four step. Because I had so much stuff 
that I was still holding on to that made up who I was. And it says that in the big book. But I wanted to read this. And um, what's helped change me over time was, first of all, knowing that I'm halted, right? That I can't do this alone. Knowing that I've got a problem. I've run myself to the ground. No goodness is going to come of Miriam's world. I'm going to lose a limb. I'm going to become blind. I'm going to become non-functioning. I'm going to die at probably 35. By the way, my cousin did die of this disease at 40. PhD she had. Um, tried to understand, in psychology, tried to understand that her thinking. She died of bulimia. Nobody knew her. Beautiful girl. She was lovely. Dad doctor. The doctor that watched me like a hawk growing up. And uh, he died, she died from this disease. She never got this program. Um, she had the insides of an 82-year-old at age 40. So uh, I might get emotional. I am that kind of person. So, um, so anyway, um, it says this, step one. This is the AA 12 and 12. And I held on to the literature for dear life. When I got stupid and I surrendered to everything and I was willing to just do the actions they told me. By the way, action is the answer. Thinking my way into recovery is not going to work for me. So when she told me to read the literature, I read everything she said. I learned. We went over it together. I was willing to do anything to change. And I knew that I had to change. So um, step one, when I read this, I go, well, what do I need to do? You know, so uh, step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, food for us, that our lives had become unmanageable. And then it says here, we know that little good can come to any alcoholic, me, I'm an addict with food, who joins OA, unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. See, I knew that I had two choices here. <coughs> Miriam's world, which is going to create chaos, which will lead to the eating eventually, or whatever you want to call it. For me, it is God, God's world, which means surrender my thinking, do what the recovery people tell me, shut up, and just follow the actions. And every day I did this, put the food down, which was very uncomfortable that first year. I remember being at Serenity Sunday crying at the podium going, this is very serious, you know, when people would... When people would joke about it. For me, I was so afraid of losing this for dear life that don't joke about it. I was very serious. I'm I'm less serious now, but um, what does that mean? Five minutes left? Yes. Oh, man. Anyway, okay. Okay. So, anyway. um, We know that little good can come to any addict who joins AA unless he first accepts his devastating weakness and all its consequences. I knew I was no good if I didn't do what they told me. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will have none. And that was like, I want to live a good life, you know. I don't want to be in this hell anymore. So... For me, this is the answer. For me, if I work this program every day for dear life, and I still do, you know, things have changed. Some days are easier than others. I've gone through some difficult times lately. There's no question. It's been hard. Um, Being married 15 years is not easy for an addict, for me, right? 
I want excitement. I want fun. I want things to happen. And when they're not, I'm like, why isn't it? You know? <laughs> and then I, but, but here's the gift, right? Or my kids, you know? We have the internet. Now they can shop on Amazon or look, you know? Anyway, we have all these things now. Little challenges like that every single day. Every day I have to work this program because I have the mindset of I have a disease of perception, right? Even I'm not cured. Some people say I'm a recovered. I'm recovered today, but believe me, if I don't work this program tomorrow, I could be looking at those brownies that we have at house, by the way. My daughter likes to bake. She's normal, tall and thin. My husband, tall and thin. My son, tall and thin. Miriam, short, not thin, well, thinner, but whatever. You know, I've got the makeup that is not them. There's no question it's genetic. It's genetic. Right? So if I'm not working this program, it's only a matter of time. I put this first. If I put this first, I won't go to the food. But I do it with with a... A sincere knowledge that if I don't, I'm screwed. Like, I won't, I won't have the gifts. But I've also learned in this program that it takes action. You know, if I could stay abstinent and not do the work behind it, I wouldn't be here. I have to do these things. I wake up in the morning, I do my meditation, I write down my food, I call it in, I work whatever steps I'm working on, I do inventory, I do a lot of writing. I'll take breaks to connect with the program throughout the day. Did it yesterday. You know, I do it every day. I have to. I go to meetings. I have a commitment. I do the. I speak. I get nervous when I speak these days. I don't know what that's about. I used to not get nervous, but now I do. Who knows? I don't know. Still finding out stuff. I'm such a work in progress. When I fall over. Um, I'm not. I'm not better in the sense that like I'm cured. I'm very. Um, I see things where, okay, there's some more work to do. But now, when things come up, I know how to handle it. I go, okay, there I go again. But the truth is, I can't get out of it unless I call somebody in the program. Like, there are times when my head is so caught up in stuff that I have to call somebody and say, this is what's going on. I can't get out of it. And I get so caught up in my anger, my resentment, my feelings. And I feel right. I do. But then I have to call somebody and go, this is what, and I've learned, you know, I've learned everything over time. Everything I'm saying is from this program, but step 10 in here, that was a big one for me. Shut up, Miriam. Right. Don't say anything. You can't get in trouble if you don't say anything. You know? I learned that here, you know, and, and I write, and, and, and I may even, you know, sometimes I do need to speak up, you know. But it's how I word it, right? Let me get the emotion out of it. I've learned, too, that if I don't come from a place of emotion where I want to say something to somebody who's not in the program, um, there's a way to do it. And it becomes effective. And then my self-esteem goes up, you know. Self-esteem goes up over time. And they told me, too, in program, and um, I'll end it with this, too. Well, I have a couple more minutes. Okay. So they told me in program that, um, like, people go, oh, love yourself, stare in the mirror, you look at yourself naked, and tell yourself you love yourself. And I'd be like, that's, that's not working for me. <laughs> I can look great, and I'll still find fault, you know. That's just my way. I can look at magazine covers and go, you know, if that was me right now, I'd find the fault in that magazine cover if that was me. You know, like, that's how I think. Right? 
So I learned that by giving to others, by being of service to others, by learning that I'm capable with God's help, I get more self-esteem. That's how it's been happening, through esteemable acts. All action. Um, I could go on forever about my life and how good it is, you know. I got married, beautiful wedding. My father said, you chose God. Karen did it. I'll never forget that. So, uh, for those of you not knowing what's going on, just keep coming back. The gifts are incredible. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? Just keep coming back and hear what you want, leave the rest aside. I am one amongst many. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, until 9.35. Okay. Questions, 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 yeah. Thank you so much for your share. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if you could share any daily practices. Yeah, I, I, uh, do I stand? I should stand, huh? Okay. Um, meditation I've been exploring lately. I am not one who likes to sit. I have a friend in the program who, who does it for 30 minutes, and I'm like, I'm, my life is too busy. You know, I'm not there. But what I do in the morning is I wake up early every morning, regardless of what's going on in the day. So I wake up at 5, 5.15. I uh, hit my knees. I say, thank you, God, for this day. And I've, I've learned this. Um, and then I go and I get my coffee. Um, I go and get my journal. Like, I have to have my journal. Like, as soon as my journal's over, I've got to get a new journal. Like, that's, there's no discussion. Got to go get my journal, you know. And, um, and then I write down my food. I write down, um, and then I read the meditations, the OA White Forte. I read a black 24 hours a day meditation from AA. And I read on page 86 in the big book on awakening. And then I write a a little letter to to God. Dear Father, thank you for this day. What do you want me to do for the day? Sometimes if I have feelings or emotions, which is often, I write that down and I turn it over. Then I will text somebody. Thank you. I will text somebody saying I read page 86, you know, um, and then I go about my day. Throughout the day, when I'm at work, I'm still in a lot of fear at work. I have a job that's uh, high pressure, you know. I'm in charge of a lot of stuff. I tell people what to do. Isn't that crazy? Like, I, me, I'm still like, how did this happen? (laughs) Um, But I will uh, write down on a post-it, dear father, I'm afraid. Please be my words, thoughts, and actions. Show me what to say. And I hold on to that post-it for the morning. Um, For the whole day sometimes, in my hands, put it in my pocket. Um, When I'm really in fear and I'm afraid of self, I will read the St. Francis prayer in here on page 99, and I will pick a line when I try to understand and to be understood. That gets me to be quiet and to listen to you, you know, um, to be a light where there is darkness, show me, or to share hope when there are shadows. So I try to practice a line throughout the day. I will periodically make pauses uh, this week through work. I had to be downtown and 
I was with a group of people who are not programmed and they would eat out every day and I didn't want to I don't like to I don't but there was one day where I did and I planned it um, with my with my sponsor um, but like yesterday or the day was it yesterday day before yesterday they were like we're going to pizza for lunch go to pizza who has pizza for lunch me pizza for lunch not in my world anymore thank god right um, we're going to have some beers you know for lunch <laughs> And then we go back to the meeting. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do that. So what I did was um, I brought my Bluetooth and I brought my phone and I listened to the AA podcast or the OA podcast. I made some calls and I went walking at the park nearby um, instead of going out with them. I went out once with them, planned my food. So I'm, I'm very careful. Um, and then I talked to God all throughout the day. In the car, Father... And my higher power changes, you know. Sometimes it's, it's finding it in nature. Sometimes it's a person in ghost form. And, and I'm talking to him like I need somebody closer, you know, if there's stuff unresolved in my mind. My mind, which is often. <laughs> often. So um, that's what I do. And then I go to meetings, you know, the usual. I need to be around people who are recovering. You know, or not recovering, newcomers. I need to be around people in OA. For me, just doing it on the phone all the time and not going to meet. Like, I need to make the surrender of getting into the car, going to a meeting, sitting there and being one amongst many, seeing the faces, sharing. I need that. I need that. Some people don't. I do. So I go to three meetings a week, sometimes more if I have more time. I call my sponsor. I call at least and talk to at least three people in the program a day. That's not true. Sometimes it's two. Sometimes it's three. sometimes it's six. You never know, you know. But I work this program for dear life, and that's what I do. There's more, but I'll stop there. <laughs> what? What? You know? Really? Go to the food or do these things? I mean, you know. Yeah. Thanks. Um, could you talk about uh, working step nine around your parents' kind of ownership of uh, your way of watching? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they, I believe that, this is my self-centeredness, I believe that my mother became a therapist because of me, because I was a crazy daughter. I didn't know that until I worked the steps. I thought they all did it to me. This is all their fault, all your fault. You don't know. You have no idea my pain. And, um... And I learned through, again, the big book, it says that people, places, and things dominated us, that we were a product of that, you know. And, and you could be anybody, you know. If you thought that I wasn't good enough, well, then I wasn't good enough, you know. And I was what you thought. I became that. And it was never good. If, if, if it was good, I didn't believe you. And um, so, like, my parents, they did the best they could. They're very alive and active. I have an incredible relationship with them now, but I've worked very hard on my part. And um, I learned that they were spiritually sick through the big book, that they did the best they could, that um, I had to really forgive my uncle because my uncle played a big part in my upbringing. They saw him as God. Um, He was a pediatrician. He was pretty renowned and popular in L.A. And... um, and so people really looked up to him in my family, and he would watch me like a hawk, and I felt like I could do no right by him. And my dad and him had, anyway, after Karen died, they made peace with each other. But, um, but I really had to see that I, I was not a good daughter, that I gave them all the power, 
but I did, and I would immediately make a transition to God is in charge, not them. But I had to work a lot through that. You know, God is in charge. God thinks I'm doing great. God sees my progress. You know, God is giving me, you know, I would just go to God. No longer them being in power. Them, you know, God. But I had to work a lot of, through that. My mother, I blamed a lot too. She's very pretty. Um, she's, uh, she looks like Meryl Streep. Like she's, like people, she's 70. And people are like, oh, your mother's so sophisticated and so pretty. You know, 70, my mother. She works very hard at it. You know, she, she does stuff. And, um, <laughs> and I was, I was angry. I was resentful. I felt like I had a very high level. To, I had to live up to that. And I never measured up. I was the black sheep of the family. I never felt like I fit in. And uh, so I was fat, you know, and um, had this problem. And uh, she came from a very hard upbringing. I learned that. She didn't have a mother. She was orphaned. Comes from alcoholism. I had to really forgive her. And, and I apologized to her for being such a lousy daughter. I got to see my part. And made peace. And uh, we have an incredible relationship. We talk like four or five times a week. I think she's beautiful, lovely. Everything I hope to be like. Who knew? Who knew these gifts? You know, you don't realize all the gifts you get until you speak. You know? Man. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your share. Can you... Can you share a little bit? You mentioned you have this job that can be kind of overwhelming and sometimes you can't believe that you're in charge of all these people. Can you talk a little bit about um, your transition into getting a job like that? I don't know if it's the first one you've had that's like that or if there's been a series of them. Um, how do you deal with sort of the, the, the fear and feeling like I, I'm not going to be able to do this but, and, and I can't believe they're doing me this? You know, responsibility. Like, how do you work your program around just suiting up and showing up for your job? And that? Couple things. I learned in this program that 90%, you know, most of life is just showing up. Just show up. That's number one. So if I don't want to, I do it anyway. A lot of it is if I don't want to do it, that's all the more reason why I need to do it. That's part of it. Um, I read this in the big book and I heard it recently. You know, having faith takes courage. You know, so every day I go, God, you got me here. You want me here. I don't know if I can do this. You know, I'm in, I have like state level stuff that I'm in charge of now. Who the, what the F, what is that? You know, I don't want that. So a lot of it is if I don't want it, I show up anyways. A lot of it is, I didn't ask for this, God, but you put me here, so I'm going to have faith that you got me here and you're going to get me through this. Sometimes, and a lot of the time, it's just walking through the discomfort. I'm uncomfortable a lot of the time, you know. And uh, just knowing that anything is better than going back to the food. And when I remember that, it kind of puts things in perspective. Like, you know, I went to this thing this week and they make it sound like, you know, it's the most important thing in the world. It's really not. The most important thing in the world is me and my abstinence, you know, and me and my recovery. So if I give that all this power, I'm going to lose myself, as people do who don't have program. I see it. If I just surrender to the fact that it's not life or death, God, you got me here, and being afraid. I'm afraid of what? 
I'm afraid a lot. And I just say, God. And then I, when I make it through and I don't die, I go, okay. But I still have a hard time with uh, compliments. So people say, oh, great job. I go, you don't know. You know. <laughs> I have five more minutes? Okay. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, unless I missed this, I don't think I did. When you started at 18 and then up to now, when you came in, did you have this sense of, uh, you know, the higher power? Um, no. And how did that transform? How did that, how did that change? My first six years, it was social. I was just glad to be around people who didn't judge me who didn't tell me I was wrong, who noticed me, really, because I felt invisible um, before that. Um, so it was the social aspect. I didn't believe in God at all. That was the truth. I put the focus on the people. But it kept me here. That's why if there's anything I could stress, don't leave. Because you never know where it's going to lead you next. You know? Um, but by hanging out, I learned that after six years that my higher power had to become everything I never felt I had. So I made my higher power everything. And I'll, I'll tell you what did it was a really bad relationship. And the guy, I gave the guy all this power. And I realized by, see, it all kind of came together in the AA Big Book, you know, making people, places, and things a higher power. So my higher power had to be everything but that couldn't be people, places, or things. And so when I was afraid and I knew that something was going to happen, either I'm going to go to the food or I'm going to face this, I would find, for the first eight years of abstinence, I would find an empty chair. I still do it, by the way. I would find an empty chair and I would imagine my higher power and ghost form talking to me, saying, I got your back. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die. And I would act as if it were true. And when it worked, I'd go, okay. Um, I'd also go to the beach a lot I'd find nature wherever, whatever I could connect with that wasn't people, places, or things and I would look hard um, I had moments where it was like that was God so hard clearly um, it's, been, it's developed over time but when things are rough like there was a time where I thought my husband and I were going to split up um, and I really had to stand my ground. And uh, through this program, we didn't. Things are great now. You know. But my natural tendency is when things get rough, run. And, and I was taught in this program by the women, the people in the program who I went to, who I go to. I have to work on my part. And I have to get close to God. And uh, sometimes my faith wavers when things are tough. Still. But I talk to him and I act as though it's going to work. And then when it works, I go, okay. And then like when I'm here, compared to where I was, there's no question that God has touched me. There's no question. I think God touches all of us if we're here. That's just my opinion. It's a matter of whether we grab it or not. You know. Um, but it's developed over time. But it changes. And I think that God's limitless. I don't think we have to have any dogma. You know, any kind of, well, if you follow these rules, there you will meet God. No, I think it's very simple. Like, help me. Help. What am I doing? You know, 
I swear at God all the time. <laughs> I don't think God cares. But it's developed over time. Everything, it's been one day at a time. One second at a time. I made it. Okay, next day. And I'm still like that. You know, I, this is not like I'm, I'm not completed. Far from it. You know. Hope that helps. Yes. Thank you for your share. Okay. Are there times that you find um, when you need other people, when you need to reach out to your having whatever issues, that uh, trust becomes an issue? Uh, did it take? Did it change for you? Did, you know, did you start out not trusting it? Yes. Yes. There's one who, yes, one person in particular who really, she and I were together through my recovery. She's my main sponsor. But now we've developed to be more friends. Um, but I resented her. I still resent her sometimes when I'm being asked to do something by her. <laughs> no, but in the beginning, yeah, I mean, I, I had to do a lot of writing about it and talking about it and praying about it and realizing that we're all human and that nobody's perfect and again there becomes the reliance on people places and things get closer to God everyone's gonna no one's perfect you know nobody and that comes from forgiving others you know that's hard for me still that's the truth I, you know I, I'm I'm at a weirdness with somebody right now and I'm having to work through it not my husband somebody else in the rooms you know I'm having to work through it but I am. I have to. Where am I going to go? You know, it's constant. Never done. That's my experience. My opinion. And that, I think, is my time. Yeah.